Okay, so I'm Nick Bircher, and this is the Nordic Future Makers podcast. Today's Nordic Future Maker is Stina Bauer-Dalberg, who is based in New York, building Trouble Inc., which is an apparel brand and community focused on self-expression at work. Prior to this, Stina spent 10 years at the New York Times, Apple, and Spotify, trying to break rules and make new stuff happen. So, Stina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I've given you a little bit of an intro, but um, you're based in New York, but you're you're Swedish and Norwegian, and you've, you've got a history where you've moved around a lot before you've ended up where you are today. That is true. I uh, it's, yeah, it's almost like a, a crazy habit that I've that I've encountered is to move a lot in my life. Uh, I'm a Swedish Norwegian, um, born in Oslo, but grew up mainly in Sweden. Um, and then when I was 15, I moved to Scotland for what I thought was going to be a year of uh, school and and learn. English and and then come back to Sweden and and I haven't looked back since then and so it's been almost 20 years now um, some of it in the UK some of it in uh, Copenhagen and Luxembourg a little bit all over in Europe and then I moved to America about six seven years ago four years in San Francisco and um, most recently three years in New York cool and New York is where you now are and you're um your co-founder of Trouble Inc., which I read is all about unconventional women at work. Yeah, the, uh, it, it really is, it comes from a very personal uh, personal place and experience. Uh, me and my co-founder, we met at Apple. And, you know, as we continue having this conversation, you'll notice that one of the themes that I've had throughout my career is uh, trying to do new things, you know, pushing the place I'm working forward. And um, part of that is that you often feel like you don't always fit in at work. You know, you look around and you see other people and they they might look and sound and be different to who you are, uh, especially if you're trying um, to come up with new ideas. You tend to maybe think a bit more unconventionally than what other people do. And so the story of the name actually comes from me and my co-founder was walking into a big planning meeting. We were in, uh, we were, I was in charge of marketing and she was in charge of uh, partners at this big uh, campaign we had at Apple called uh, Earth Day, Apps for Earth. And we walked into this meeting and this executive, um, this guy, he said, uh-oh, here comes trouble. And and we were both kind of offended and and flattered at the same time we it's a little patronizing and it's not normally what you say to two guys walking into a meeting but we also just really like this idea of being troublemakers at work and um making new stuff happen and so we just decided that it was going to be a bit of a mantra for us to make trouble and it and for us it's it's a little bit of a of a way to approach work and to try to um stay unconventional and fight the conformity that often happens in the modern office. So it's an apparel brand, but it's also a community with this idea of self-expression. Yeah, totally. And I mean, we're still very much uh, a little baby. We're developing all of these thoughts and ideas uh, currently. Uh, yeah, so we're starting to make um, clothing, apparel, as as it's also a very direct 
idea of who you are, you know, the clothing, what you're wearing and how you wear it is one of the first ways that people sort of take you in and a way for you to express who you are. So that felt like a very natural and very direct and tactile um, expression of, uh, of your identity. But we obviously think that there's a bunch of ways that a person expresses who they are, whether it's how they speak or how they write an email or how they do a presentation. Um, and so there's tons of other ideas that we have around helping people find and express who they are. And then obviously um, we, we, me and my co-founder Isabel have had enormous benefit of having each other and having a network of people around us uh, that has helped us in different ways in our career. And, and so we think that idea of, of connecting, you know, women, uh, connecting actually anybody at, at um, currently feeling like maybe they don't quite fit in in the modern office, uh, we think could be really powerful and will help people. So I think um, connecting people both digitally and, um, and eventually in, in person will be a big part of it as well. So that's something that you've been working on for for the last kind of six months or so, and and you're obviously strange times at the moment, but your plan is to launch properly this year. Yeah, that's the hope. Um, and you know, we definitely think that there are uh, parts of this brand. Parts of this brand is is the physical product, and part of it is uh, more digital. And so we are kind of planning exactly how we're going to launch it now with what everything that's happening in the world but yeah that was the idea uh, we've had this obviously we met at apple we've been talking about this idea of uh travel and feeling like you don't, like you're a little bit of a square peg in a round hole at work uh for a long time and we worked nights and weekends on it uh for probably you know a year or so and uh and i left my job at the new york times about six months ago to cope full time and to try to launch this thing. So yes, we're hoping we'll have, we definitely will have something live um, in in this year. We're just trying to figure out exactly, you know, how we do, if that's a physical product or whether that's more of a digital presence at first. Okay. And what you were doing at the New York Times, that, that wasn't conventional either. You were managing director of the newsroom brand marketing team. Yes, the very long, long name. <laughs> yeah, it was a very interesting time uh, to be at the New York Times. You know, I uh, there's actually a lot of uh, ways that Apple and the New York Times are similar in their industry. You know, these are two brands that obsess and uh, focus on their product like no other brand that I've ever imagined um or really read about of course kind of spotify falls into that category as well but um yeah it was a time when the move to subscription was happening in the digital space uh, in the digital media space and they have really been a leader in that i was very uh should i say moved um to go and work for them after the election of Donald Trump in 2016 and and also you know a, a little bit um, it uh, when the UK left uh, voted to leave the EU it was like I just felt like something was up and something was happening in the world and I had worked for six years at Apple on the App Store and and started to feel like maybe maybe what the world needs right now is not 
more apps, but but quality journalism. Um, and I realized that uh, quality journalism was something that I that I cared very deeply about. And so I, um, yeah, I started speaking to them, and and ultimately, my job there was to form this new team, this new marketing team that sat in the newsroom. Um, together with the journalists to figure out a couple of different things. We, we thought a lot about how we can make our marketing, marketing message closer and more relevant to the news cycle. So, you know, a lot of um, their uh, marketing had traditionally been price driven and um, had so less brand and more direct marketing. And, and also had sort of operated a little separately from the newsroom and, we well, they have some really smart um, smart leaders over there, both in the newsroom and on the marketing side, and uh, I think they were looking for ways that we can uh, make and connect these two. Because when you move to the subscription model, the um, the goals of the newsroom becomes much more aligned with the goals of the business side of a news organization. Because ultimately, it's about you know the subscribers, the readers being. The audience, and um, and so it made a lot of sense at the time to to try to figure out ways that we can work closer together. And it was really great and really fun for me because uh, you know obviously their journalists are the best in the world, and there's some really really smart people there. And it's a really cool experience to be able to sit um, in the middle of a newsroom, whether it was during like the Kavanaugh hearings or all the kind of crazy stuff that has been happening in the last couple of years. So it was a really awesome experience. And I guess for you to walk in and say, okay, you're going to do the first ever integrated marketing campaign for the newsroom must have been a really big thing for you to just walk in and be be doing that straight off. I guess it was. It was, um, you know, I, I actually sort of don't, I, my education was not in marketing. I didn't study marketing. I studied uh, European politics and international affairs and actually a little bit of journalism. And and so I think I I think I a I came from a world where maybe I spoke their language slightly more than a uh, a person that had just come from a very traditional marketing background. I think that helped a lot. Um, I think it helped that they were in a in a moment where um, they were starting to see the the impact of doing more brand marketing. And uh, and the changes of their business model, and so I think they were they were more open to it. Um, but yeah, there was definitely like a lot of meetings where people were like, "What? Like, what are what are you doing here?" Um, and and but normally that kind of that kind of worked out. It kind of worked out in the end anyway. So you were accepted pretty much straight away. Yeah, I think, and there was, you know, I will say. Um, I, I think what I've been lucky to have had in a lot of roles and something that I talk a lot about is how women can often be sort of over-mentored and under-sponsored and, um, the need and the need for people to seek out sponsors, I think, is very important. I have had the fortunate uh, fortune of having lots of amazing people in different roles and different companies that I worked at and who've helped me kind of be a champion of what I've been doing. And so at the times there is a leader called Cliff Levy. He's, you know, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, he is currently the editor of Metro and had previously, when I started, was 
the head of most of the digital operation in the newsroom. And he was a really big proponent of this idea and um, of my team and my team working with his team. And so I think that's, you know, if that's a lesson that, that um, I can share, that certainly it is to kind of find these sponsors who can, who are often senior people in the organization who's willing to kind of like defend you for your naming, um, you know, whenever there's a project coming up or just someone to be like, oh, we should have seen in this room. And that, um, I've had a few of those and that's really helped. And so that I think helped as well that Cliff was there and kind of championed and introduced me to people. Okay, so you've got this whole thing where you're trying to break the rules and do the new things like, I was just reading what you've done, the journalism on billboards, the video stuff, the the podcast things, all of that stuff. But but at the same point, it's really helpful if you've got someone who can kind of help convince people that this is the right direction that things should be going in. Yeah, I think, you know, like I talk, I I... I love to talk about taking risks and how we can encourage more people to take risks. Um, and that can seem like a really scary thing for people. And I, what I like to try to do is demystify risk taking a little bit. And one of the things that I think is important that has been important for me is, you know, if you're, you very rarely take risks on your own. Like if you're taking, especially at work, if you're taking a risk and it's just you taking it, it's probably not big enough. And so it really means that you're going to have to work with other people. And that I think is maybe a way to make risk feel a little less scary. So it's more about identifying the people in the organization who can help you, push you, introduce you to people, just in general, be a champion for you, like a little bit of like curling, like helping polish the way forward. So your job gets a little easier. It seems that one of the things you were most proud of from that period was the partnership with Everlane. Yeah, this was like a very uh, fun, similar thing where we did a partnership with the uh, with the clothing brand Everlane. It might not be as well known in Europe. It's pretty big over here in the States. They're known for their pricing transparency, for their approach to um, sustainability, and also just being like a great place for great basics. They're very popular with, you know, millennial women. And um, we had a real um, perception problem at the times with this age group, like younger women. Most um, most people, not most people, but, you know, the general audience of the times that subscribe to the New York Times skew older and skew wider and skew male. And so we were very obsessed with trying to figure out ways that we could feel more relevant to a younger audience whilst keeping the product, um, you know, without compromising any of the things that made the product great. And so, so we came up with this idea, you know, what is a brand that we could partner with that uh, younger millennial women love? And I was like, oh, that's going to be Everlane. And, uh, and that was one of those, yeah, where, where people were very, uncomfortable a lot of people were kind of uncomfortable with this idea of putting journalism on clothing and partnering in this way and but I just felt like it was the right thing to do because I knew what women my age what kind of brands they listened to and liked and uh and yeah and I just really thought that it was a really fun idea 
it was kind of cool. It was one of those moments I was then on the subway going to work the day we launched it. And I, you know, looked over um, the shoulder of this girl who was on her iPhone and she was opening and reading the email newsletter that Everlane had sent out. And that's just kind of one of those moments where you feel proud that the work that you're doing is reaching the audience that you intended it to reach. At that point, you were taking journalism out of the newsroom and into other areas. And then if we look at what you were doing before this with with Apple, it, it was kind of taking editorial into Apple all around the time of iOS 11, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked on the App Store for uh, a really long time. Um, I went there in, uh, let's see, I think 2013, if not, no, 2011. 2011 was when I went in Europe. And uh, apps were still sort of like, I remember feeling like we were, the nerds in the corner of uh, what at that point at Apple was the larger iTunes ecosystem and people worked at music and movies and apps were like this, this like side thing that people couldn't really wrap their hands, heads around. And uh, I just knew I had um, actually bought my first iPhone with my first paycheck in my job before Spotify and just had been, Loving the technology and at the in the startup that I was at at the time, I suggested that we would make an app and we didn't have any money, but it was kind of a little bit of a wild, wild west back then. And so I, the company just kind of said, well, you can go and figure it out. And so I contacted a bunch of, I can't, this is so many years ago, but I contacted a bunch of developers and I said, hey, um, you know, we have this content at this point, the company I was working with was working in film, film trailers, European film trailers. And I contacted this American developer that had uh, an American app with uh, American phone trailers. And I just said to him like, hey, we have this European content and why don't we make a new app that's for that content and we'll provide the content and you'll provide the coding and the app and and we'll see how it goes. And we did and it became super successful and it was number one in a bunch of countries and was downloaded a whole ton and um, Apple featured it. So I knew this idea of being featured with the app store was a big deal because I'd seen it really kind of changed the business model of the startup I was at at the time, which sort of moved away from a, a, a more B2B model to drive traffic to the trailer to a more B2C model through their own properties. And so I kind of knew the power of the app store and the power of app store editorial. And I was saw a lot of innovation happening in apps, you know, at this time, like, Instagram was kind of launching, uh, you know, Snapchat hadn't yet launched. There was, you know, just a bunch of stuff happening in the space that um, that I saw was really cool and I thought was really interesting. And so when when Apple called with a job to work on the App Store, it was sort of hard to turn down. And so then I was there for several years doing a bunch of different things, starting off as an editor, picking the apps and and then moving into taking some of that editorial and opinionating about what apps are great into the digital media space. And so I did, I sort of ran social there and then the email program and then um, digital overall. And, and then, uh, but my last role is probably the one that I'm the kind of most proud of and the, the most fun, which were um, when we collectively started to push for this idea of the app store having even more of an opinion on apps and culture and the way that it's shaping the world. And so we drove hard to make the product more editorial. You know, today 
today, the App Store has a tadpole today in which there's a whole team of editors who write articles and record videos to review apps and games. And um, yeah, and I just were happy and very fortunate to have been there at the time when all of that stuff was getting done. And in like rebranding the App Store was almost um, a misnomer because there, there wasn't much of a brand beyond the A and originally in the blue color and and sort of as we decided that we needed to have more of a voice we also needed to have a bit more of a brand and understand our brand in relation to the developers brands and all this kind of stuff and so yeah that was really cool and that new uh product launched in, in ios 11 yeah so again that, that's a whole thing where just from experimenting and trying different things and then one thing leads to another and leads to another and then before you know it you're you're kind of overseeing this huge rebrand of, of the app store at Apple. Yeah. Like it's very, um, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the, like I often say like, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of like just end up in these situations. I don't want to downplay it, but also, I also do think it's important not to upplay it because I think you hear so many interviews with successful CEOs and you read them and it just, it just finds it find that it's like seems entirely unrelatable uh because it just sort of seems like it just like oh and then I was there and uh and it really um it really wasn't as strategic or as panning as it is you know a lot of it just came from solving smaller problems so one of the ways that I got into the whole idea of, of rebranding or giving the app store more of a brand than a voice was through um I was running I think one of the earliest ideas was like I was running the Twitter feed and, you know, we just needed like an image to tweet and all we had was the developers. And and I was like, well, you know, I think what if I wanted to have some opinion on this? Or what if I wanted more of like our voice in here, not just the photo that they have sent us? Like, what should that look like? And that started a whole conversation that over several years, years later turned into like, oh, OK, let's really think about this. And where are, you know, how do we infuse our opinion in this? So you kind of you, you kind of go forward and then come back a little bit and have a think about it and then go forward again and then come back a little bit and it's kind of forward backwards bit by bit to make progress. Yeah, and I think just sort of like uh, trusting your gut about like what is what is what is interesting and what what was nobody what was this this idea which was really kind of like what should this what the problem was really, what should this tweet look like in, in its shortest essence? Um, and then I was like, wow, nobody's like, nobody in the team is like really thinking of this. Like, I think this is a huge thing we need to solve for because if the app store could have more of an opinion that people can relate to it more and would trust our recommendations more. And so it was just sort of like, it seemed like a small problem, but it was actually kind of more bigger and more philosophical the more you kind of untangled the, uh, the things behind it. And so, because I was the one who wanted to solve this problem, I was the one who was pushing it. So I was the one who was making presentations and slide decks and pitching, you know, executives and my boss and his boss and his boss's boss and being like, hey, we need this, we need this, we need this. And then, you know, eventually it was like, oh, we need this big thing. And you get it done. Because that, that thing about trusting your instinct, that, that's almost how this journey started for you, wasn't it? With this, this thing of you have to get a job at Spotify. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I was at this, uh, I was at the movie trailer startup, and 
uh, as a startup goes, uh, we weren't doing that well. I think our business all was bad. It was my first job out of college. Like I had no idea, but I kind of had an idea and it was like not going super well. So I was like, okay, I gotta, gotta go work somewhere else. And there was, uh, a Swedish, a small Swedish company at the time that had just started to get a little bit of press in TechCrunch, et cetera. And I was living in Copenhagen at the time and it was called Spotify. And, uh, and I was really fascinated, actually, mostly with the collaborative playlists. I was very much uh, into the technology behind Spotify, more so than the idea of working in the music industry. That wasn't what was really cool for me. It was like technology was just really awesome. And um, little like the collaborative playlist is not a big deal of Spotify now. But I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like you could just like sit in an open office and just throw songs in uh, and create this uh, playlist together. And um, yeah, so I was just like, they're doing cool stuff. And they were hiring in London. I was living in Copenhagen. And I were just like, I want to go work for them. And I want to work there. And it just was, I was very uh, fortunate that they were a small company. They didn't really even have uh, HR at that point. And so I like, I think I made a website. And I was like, I want to help Spotify grow. It's super cringe now that I read this website. But it was like, I was just like, went in for the hard sell, sent it. They didn't have HR. They didn't have like a application portal. You know, there wasn't like, thank you for application. It was literally uh, this woman called Eleanor, uh, who later became a good friend, um, who was like the office manager. And she was like, thank you. Well, we'll let you know. And then I was like, oh, cool. Now I have a name. And, and then I like used the Wayback Machine, I think, or some version of that uh, to find a phone number that they had taken off the website, but that, that I found. Uh, and then I just kind of kept calling for several weeks. And then eventually they were, and I kept speaking to Eleanor and Eleanor kept being like John, John Mitchell, who was ended up being the person who hired me, uh, was like, well, if John hasn't called you back, he's probably not interested. And then I sort of did uh, finally a last Hail Mary and I, um, called up Eleanor and I said, hey, I'm going to be in London for work. Um, so if Jonathan wants to like meet for a coffee, that would be cool. And then I got an email back saying like, yeah, okay, he'll meet you for a coffee, for five minute coffee. But I wasn't going to be in London. I That was like a lie. And I just flew over to do this meeting, this five minute coffee. And because uh, I really, really wanted to work there. And, uh, and uh, we had coffee and it lasted an hour. And I, if I remember correctly, I think he offered me the job like there. And so that was, that was kind of it. So I packed up my bags and I moved to London to go work for Spotify. So you, you literally just jumped on a plane, went there for a coffee and then whole life changed after that. And you started this journey of that you kind of been on for the last 10 years. Yeah. I really wanted to work there. <laughs> so. so the thing, the thing I love about hearing you talk is got this thing of having a plan is overrated but i think it's kind of the thing that comes through is having a long-term plan is overrated but understanding what you want to do right now and putting everything into making that work right now is kind of really inspiring i think yeah i guess that's a great that's a good way to put it it's a great way to put it like uh uh it's it's not like this has been sort of a plan for me to live that way but i have kind of live by that idea of like, okay, what am I really excited about right now? 
where do I, where, you know, where do I want to work next or where, what do I want to do? And what, what is the problem that I have like, what's the problem that's exciting just personally? Like, what do I, what do I think would be a hard problem to solve right now? And, and then sort of let myself get wrapped up in that, that has then led me to this bigger journey. If there's a summary for me, it's always just, um, risks taking risk is a lot less scary than than people think and it comes in to your point in small doses and uh, and yeah and try to just focus on uh, on doing something that's makes you excited to get up in the morning and and then a lot of things kind of follow from that which I think is a great way to to finish up. So so thank you Stina it's been great talking to you this this evening and I've loved hearing all about your journey. That's awesome. It's been great talking to you. And thank you for asking good questions. I think you're a, another great example of a, of a Nordic future maker. So, so Stina, stay safe. Thank you for the conversation and good luck with trouble and everything that you've got planned for this year. Awesome. Thank you. It's been great. For everyone else, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you subscribe to the podcast and I hope you listen again in the future. 